Welcome back to episode 65. I need to talk to Steven because he was supposed to make me an intro music song thingamajiggy, but he hasn't yet, so uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, not, this episode's very informational. Uh, I even learned some things um, about uh, just the label of autistic and all the things that come from it and just things that were kind of created from from autism and it's 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 very informational this woman's a very sweet lady um you know i was kind of a little weary about this episode because of um i didn't know her at all and we really didn't really conversate much and i i talked to her for like because she told me she had like an hour and she had to go somewhere so i was like oh boy like i don't know I hope I can, you know, get enough information out of her because um, it, it wasn't enough on her profile for me to really kind of decipher what we were going to talk about. But um, it, it worked out really well and, you know, very smart lady. And, and she, she really is a, a great advocate and especially for uh, her condition. So, or, you know, disorder or whatever you want to call it, um, you know. But either way, this was a great episode. I hope you welcome her and, and, and love her as much as I do. Uh, yeah, guys. Welcome our next guest. Oh, good. <laughs> All right, bye. Guys, we are here with a, another episode. Uh, I continue to find these great guests. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm always trying to find people that are especially good representatives of our community because of, you know, this ability community is kind of all over the place and, we don't really have a we don't have enough of you know a, a positive representation of what we can go through. I can't talk tonight. Um, so our next guest um, is definitely uh, one of those people. Um, can you just like tell us your name, where you're from, and like obviously just like a little a little about yourself? My name is Elaine. I am a native Californian. I currently live in Southern California, and I am self-employed. And that will come into play later on because there's a story behind that. And I am on the autism spectrum and I also have ADHD. All righty. So, and I come from, uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Go, please go. My generation is Generation X. And back in the day, we didn't talk about this stuff, especially if you were a girl. You were just thought to be weird or or lame, or very often kids would drop the arsler. And uh, so my generation essentially grew up being unnoticed and undiagnosed, unidentified. And there's very little representation for people on the, on the spectrum and with ADHD that are also from Generation X. The millennials and Gen Z they are working it out with representation. They are doing a wonderful job of educating people and advocating. But it's about time that maybe Generation X had their voices heard as well because our experiences are probably vastly different than it is for Millennial and Gen Z. Right, absolutely. Um, now, one of the things you told me before we started was that 
you got diagnosed later mm-hmm. in life. Um, before you mm-hmm. let's kind of talk a little bit about before your your diagnosis. Like, um, d- was there any signs? You know, without really knowing anything, did, was there any signs now in hindsight or anything that you kind of picked up on that you thought was a little weird, but just never really put anything into it? Oh yeah, a couple things, and this dates back to when I was a a, a kid, really. Um, I had a lot of sensory issues. Tastes and textures of a lot of foods just did not compute at all. So I had a lot of issues with eating and with food. Um, not necessarily calorie restriction, but there were so many things I could not tolerate. And I remember sitting at the dinner table as a kid, crying and saying, there's something wrong with me. I want to eat this, but I can't. I can't. My brain won't let me, you know, because the texture was wrong or the taste was all wrong. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. Please help me. And the adults in my life at that time were not very accommodating. So unfortunately, that led to a lot of mistreatment when I was growing up. Um, Parents weren't very educated about sensory differences or anything like that. And um, also... In school, I realized I could not sit still. I either could not sit still or I daydreamed a lot, which is very typical of girls and women with ADD and ADHD. But when I was in school, that wasn't even talked about for girls. It was seen as a boy's situation or a boy's condition because all the research was centered on boys for both autism and ADD, ADHD. So I went through school being the weird kid and I was the weird kid. I couldn't understand a lot of the social cues that were going on. I hated eating in the cafeteria because I had so many problems with food, taste and texture. Cafeteria food is bad enough to begin with. I mean, let's talk. That stuff is bad. And then you throw in sensory issues around taste and texture. And you have essentially for a child, what is a living hell? Mm -hmm. And my teachers didn't really understand much about me. I really didn't want to participate in groups with the other kids because I was, I was bullied a lot. The difference is though, is I did fight back. But in terms of autism and ADHD, I just noticed things about my personality and a lot of repetitive behaviors or what we now known are or what are now known as stims. Repetitive behavior that kind of helped me regulate my mood a little bit, you know, to kind of chill out if I needed to or to focus or to do something like that. You know, all human beings stim and all species stim. But it's a behavior that's been mostly associated with autism spectrum. And I don't like it when people say autism spectrum disorder. It's not a disorder. It's an experience. It's a way of being and doing and moving through the world that isn't typical. But it's certainly not disordered or wrong. It just is. And um, I just noticed a lot of different things. I would have a lot of interest, very intense interest. When I was a kid, 
I had the school bus schedule memorized. I knew who was driving what bus, when they were coming in, when they were departing. I knew all the bus drivers, the bus schedule. When other little girls were interested in playing Barbie or playing horses or flipping around on the monkey bars or whatever was going on in grade school life at the time, I was more interested in the bus schedule and the bus drivers. And that's not a typical interest for a grade school kid. It really wasn't. So, and just lots of little things throughout my life, I think. The workplace, the traditional workplace, was absolutely impossible for me. All these social cues, all these unwritten rules, the rigid routine, the boring work, typical office work, right. um, really boring to me. I, 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 and I, I remember sitting at my desk. I was, I think, about, oh, I don't know, in my 20s. And thinking, I'm going to have to do this for the rest of my life. And I remember at that moment, I went into the restroom and I started crying because I couldn't believe it. I felt like I'd been sentenced to jail or something. And this was before working remotely became a thing. Right, of course. You know, the internet was there. We were using it. But at the time, it was primarily a means of communication within academic spaces or in the workplace setting, you know, just workplace-based IMs and things like that. Nobody had online businesses at the time. Nobody was working remotely. Um, we all had, you know, dial-up and, and all that stuff at home, but in terms of working remotely. So the workplace, yeah, I've lost a few jobs. I have. Because the workplace, the traditional workplace, has been extremely difficult for me, right. as, I sh as I'm sure it is for a lot of neurodivergent people. As you, we don't fit into the neat little as, as you got a little bit older, did, did you have any kind of theories? Like when you became in your teenagers or, or just in your 20s, 30s, like, did you start to really like have any thought? Because we all, you know, like with my mental health, like a lot of times yeah. there's things that will happen and I'll have theories on it and then I'll look it up and it'll either make my mental health worse or better, so on and so on. But I have theories on what it yeah. could be uh, or an, any ailment. I could just say like my, there's a ring in my ear and I'm like, oh, maybe that's tinnitus or maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Like, did you have any real theory uh -huh. on what it was? Well, in my teens and 20s and even into my 30s, again, autism in girls and women wasn't even discussed. Because up until that point, it'd be it'd been seen as a boy's a boy's condition, because that's all the only people they did research on were boys. So they took that data and went, well, okay, it's impossible for a girl to be autistic with the attention deficit. Oh, that definitely was a thing. I zeroed in on that right away in my twenties and thirties. I was enrolled at the local community college because I wanted to take some classes. I figured if I have to sit behind a desk eight hours a day doing an office job that I hate, I might as well do something that I love. So I signed up for classes and was struggling academically. So my professor at the time recommended that I go to disabled uh, student services and programs and Get, a, get an evaluation done for any type of learning disability or learning difference. 
And within those tests was a subtest that measured attention span and attention to detail and things like that. So I tested out, okay, there were some issues like with numerical um, numerical presentations and things like that, some reading comprehension issues, but also what came through loudly and clearly, definitely ADD, ADHD. That came through. Talk about going off the charts. That was the only thing where I tested off the charts. <laughs> so yeah. that was confirmed when I was in my 30s. I did not have the money to access um, a psychologist who specialized in in-depth evaluation. You know, that's incredibly expensive. And so I just met with the director of DS and PS at my school, and we devised accommodations for me for testing as well as coursework and also just some hacks to help me get through my courses and do well, you know, and succeed. In terms of the autism spectrum, that didn't become apparent until about five years ago when I started reading content created by a lot of autistic women and reading this content and thinking, oh, wow, that's me. Oh my gosh, that's really me. And then really identifying with a lot of their struggles and a lot of their sensory issues and a lot of the ways that they navigated a world that's really not built for us. I think if you have any kind of difference at all, be it a physical difference, uh, if you're neurodivergent, disabled, anything like that, the world is not built for us. It's built on a very ableist, neuronormative standard. Right. So it's a difficult place to be. And so I, um, I finally realized that, wow, okay, there is a label for this, autism spectrum. There's another label, neurodivergent. Can you tell people what this that is, is, just for the people who don't know, neurodivergent? Neurodivergent just refers to um, a neurotype that is not typical. You have neurodivergent, and under that umbrella, you have autism spectrum, ADD, ADHD, mental illness, um, and also illnesses and conditions that, that can cause someone to process information differently. Neurotypical is the part of the is the segment of the population that does not have to live with those conditions that is not autistic that does not have mental health issues that does not have ADD ADHD so neurodivergent is just an umbrella term um, for people on the spectrum with ADHD with mental health conditions right and neurodivergent just refers to the diversity of neurotypes. Just the, the whole mix, everybody in the mix. Right, right. And because of struggling for so many years with these two conditions that I didn't become aware of and I didn't realize that there was a name for until adulthood, I developed some mental health issues as well that I still deal with to this day. I live with anxiety and depression and PTSD. Right, of course. 
unfortunately. I always say that's like it's just it's a package deal. It just when yes, you have a disability or, or something like it doesn't it doesn't I mean I, I again I say this so many times but I think we all have some form of it but a lot of the average person yeah. just has whatever you know they're sad because their boyfriend broke up with them or or whatever but yeah the people like yeah. us that have just gone through so much in our lives like it's just it's a package deal we're stuck with it um, and some overcome it but they, it'll never I don't think it'll ever go away one hundred percent I know it won't for me anyway. no. Um, I'm in a better place, no, but I think, yeah. I think beyond a point it's hardwired, especially autism. That does not go away. And there are entire programs and fields and groups devoted to making sure it goes away, which I find just absolutely disgusting for sure. Autism speaks, you know, it's very distressing to realize that this group is out there and they want to eliminate people like me. They don't want us to be born in the first place. Right. That's a lot to live with every day. Yeah. And the PTSD primarily comes from the mistreatment I encountered while growing up. I'm talking not just bullying, but pure violence. Right. Pure violence, getting very clear messages that my peers not only didn't want me around, they probably didn't want me to exist. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't think you, you know, realize I how much damage, you, how much baggage and how much damage you carry with you until you get old enough and you can, you know, you, you yeah. have your own thoughts and then, you know, like for me, and I've been very honest with a lot of things I say. So I, you know, I, I, you know, one day realized that I was molested in school and, it just kind of dawned on me one day and I, and I just kind of was like, wow, like that doesn't really affect me that mm -hmm. much. And it's like, I've been through that much and I could kind of laugh that off that it's like, I'm, mm -hmm. and so I started looking at myself in the mirror going like, how damaged are you? Like, what is it that really mm -hmm. is good? Like, you know, cause I, I always want to know what my breaking point is. I never want to reach it, but you know, there's, right. so, <laughs> there's so much that I've been through that some things that would probably cripple most people you know, like a molestation mm -hmm. would probably define their life and, yeah. in, 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 you know, internally where they just, you know, that's all they can think about and it's hard for them to date or whatever. Mm -hmm. For me, it was just kind of like mm -hmm. a laugh off moment in a way. I mean, I found it sad, but it was like something mm -hmm. I could get over so quickly. So I was just like, I'm like, how, you know, how damaged are you? Like how much baggage do you have in there? How many skeletons? Because, you know, this is, this isn't normal. This is kind of sad. Um, and it seems like that's kind of where you're yeah. at. Like you've been through so much that it's like, you don't yeah. really know, you know, what it is that keeps you going and, and, and ticking. And, but there's so much there that you kind of have to unravel that it takes a while for you to kind of yeah. realize it all. Yeah. There's been a lot of unpacking for me in the past few years, just kind of looking at, I tend to look at things from an intersectional point of view in terms of you know, as a person with what would be considered a disability, you know, people with disabilities, very marginalized group. And because of that, you know, there've been issues with accessing just regular day-to-day -day things. And I've noticed, especially, again, I'm going to go back to the workplace because as adults, that's where we spend a lot of our time. The workplace is not designed for, pe for disabled people, or neurodivergent people. Mm -hmm. 
And because of that, because I spent so much time in the workplace, I came out of that situation thinking I was damaged, that there was something wrong with me, that I was defective, I was broken, I'll never get a good job, I'm a loser, all of these things that I still struggle with to this day. And for a little while, I worked with a life coach or a personal coach. And, you know, that didn't work out for me because, and this is not no fault of her own, seriously, but not a lot of education on how to work with neurodivergent people. We process information differently. We, we converse differently. Our thought processes are different. Our levels of socialization are different. And unless somebody has that understanding, it's just not going to be a good arrangement. I'm very fortunate now to be working with a therapist to kind of unpack and look at the trauma. And I think anybody with any kind of disability or difference in this society has some level of trauma or if somebody is a person of color, you know, because of all the systemic barriers that are in place against marginalized groups, um, there's always going to be some trauma there, kind of a collective trauma. And that's what I'm noticing as I interact with more and more autistic people online, that there is this collective trauma that we need to unpack and look at personally, how it impacted us personally to go through the school system to go through the, the traditional workplace that has very little accommodation, to go through bullying, even as an adult. You mm. know, adult bullying is definitely there. It's a lot more subtle. It's a lot more backhanded, but it's definitely there. Absolutely. And having to unpack a lot of stereotypes about autistic people. You know, I've had people ask me, oh, are you some kind of genius? Are you really good with math? Are you an artist? Right. And I'm all, nah, just average. Sorry to disappoint you, but. Kind of the whole Rain Man nope, thing. Just it's like, average. You have a problem, yeah. but like you, oh, there's the one rain- thing that you're a wizard at, and it's like, oh, you're that guy. Oh, yeah, you're that guy. Yeah. Yeah, the whole Rain Man thing, um, the representation of autistic people in you know, popular media leaves a lot to be desired and very little to no representation of autistic women. I mean, Temple Grandin is a very controversial figure because a lot of her outlook on autism is very ableist. And part of being neurodivergent is embracing what you've got. And that includes your own unique um, neurotype. So some of us don't claim her. I I don't. (laughs) (laughs) you know um so there's like a lack of representation and lack of role models so people grab onto these stereotypes and they grab onto them hard like sheldon cooper the lead character in the good doctor rain man you know everybody knows rain man and um well even something like forrest gump like they never get any representation yeah. of people with, I mean, that's probably the most famous one of someone with a disability because it's Tom Hanks and it was an Oscar nominated yeah. movie and so on. And it's fine, but it's like, oh, yeah. again, it's just, there's no representation of it. And there, and there are some decent portrayals, but 
it's still yeah. like they, you know, it's like, why not just get a blind guy or get a deaf guy? Like, why can't you just get someone real for those roles? Um, Thank you. And they, I mean, yeah. I, sometimes why I have not? seen it in the deaf community. There are some ones that are deaf people they use because it's, it's harder. It's really hard to kind of, you know, you re, if you're not oh, deaf, yeah. it, that, that one's a hard one to kind of work out unless you, you're really good at sign language. But there, there's so much more into that. Um, but as far as anyone else, like it, they just tend to, you know, or, or like it, it's a superhero thing, like, a di- you know, they'll have a disability, but it's like their senses are enhanced yeah. in a way to where they can still function, uh, beyond what an actual right. person with a disability can. So, and yeah. the reason why Sia got dragged so heavily for her movie music is because they did not use an autistic actor for the lead role. Oh, okay. And to me, there are so many... Here's the thing with autistic folks, or actually anyone with a disability. We make great actors because we're acting every day just to pass. Just to pass in society. If we have a hidden disability. Just to pass in the society. We're acting. And... I can see why people dragged her really hard. There are incredibly gifted autistic actors out there that could have played that role beautifully. Maddie Ziegler was kind of backed into a corner. But again, why not use deaf actors? Why not use actors that are wheelchair users or use any other kind of mobility device? Why not use actors that are disabled instead of able-bodied actors playing disabled actors? Right. I, I have noticed we need the representation. I've noticed recently like that movement has kind of taken off uh, more recently about the uh, the invisible disabilities, the ones that you can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I, that's more of yeah. a recent thing that people have kind of I mean, like maybe they just that's the term they've come up with or whatever. But, you know, I, I've seen mm-hmm. more of that because it's, you know, there's a, you know, and then it seems like every couple of years there's more and more disabilities come out and. Uh, and more mm-hmm. and more, I mean, cause a lot of people don't really think that, uh, mental health is one and I, I would easily consider it one because it, it is very crippling and it does a lot of damage to you. It is. Um, and, and it all, is. and all the false things that it creates in your mind to make your body feel like it's going mm-hmm. through something else and so on and so on. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it's quite interesting now that we have so much more information now and, and there's so many different categories and subdivisions of, of what a disabled person is. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, back, mm-hmm. you know, there was only, you know, a couple here and there. And if it wasn't visible, especially if it wasn't visible, then it's like, oh, you don't, you know, what are you talking about? Uh, but now there's so many other yeah. ones now that it's like, you know, you really have to know what you're talking about. You really have to really have an open mind now because it's not just, you know, yeah. five different people with five different, you know, if you're not in a wheelchair, blind, deaf or, or whatever, missing arm or whatever, it's like, mm-hmm. no, like there's some things that are going on in my body that I can't really explain to you, uh, or at least not to where you would actually understand it. Um, it, exactly. There's so much going on out here now. So, um, and I think it's great because there is more knowledge. Right. Um, so what, what, what led you to get, uh, diagnosed as far, I mean, was it something sporadic that happened to the doctor as far as you having, uh, be, you know, being autistic, did he, was it something that you were looking to get? Cause you obviously were reading the books and, and you realized that this was poss- possibly you, uh, where, where did you, how did you move on from that? Definitely self, I, 
self-identified initially. And I knew I didn't want to pursue a formal on-the-record diagnosis because I knew that would impact my my ability to be, you know, to get a job and things like that. I didn't want accommodations at work because in this workplace, unfortunately, they'll look for any reason to fire somebody. Um, I asked my therapist, I said, look, you know, you've been working with me for a while and you've heard of my experiences and how I process information and how I interact with X, Y, and Z and, and things like that. And, um, she said, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I definitely feel that you are on the autism spectrum and you've been aware of that for a long time. And I'm just going to corroborate what you've always said to me and what you felt. And she said, now I'm going to be real honest. I don't know a lot about autism in women because when I was going through school and going through my clinical training, it was all centered on the male experience. So I really appreciated her saying that, but I did let her know that it was her responsibility to educate herself. And I say that because as a disabled person, I don't know about you, but I'm tired a lot. And then having to put forth the emotional labor of educating yet another person yeah. on our situation, our meaning the collective autistic experience is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. physically, mentally, you're just drained all the time. Constantly. And people don't realize that because I'm not, you know, to the naked eye, I'm not using, a mo- like you said, a mobility device. I don't use a chair. Ironically, I am using crutches because I wrecked my knee a couple months ago. But up until then, I wasn't using any kind of mobility device. But my disability, if you will, and I don't see autism as a disability per se. I'm talking more about the mental health aspect of it. Definitely. I'm exhausted all the time. And a lot of that comes from trying to function in a world not built for us. We're the ones that constantly have to accommodate. They did a study a few years ago on that studied communication between non-autistic people and autistic people. And they found that the autistic people had to, uh, had to switch up their communication style to meet the needs of the neurotypical people, but it never happened the other way around. The neurotypical people in the study really didn't go out of their way to try to accommodate the communication modalities that the autistic people in the study use. So we're constantly bending over backwards to accommodate neurotypical and abled people all the time. And people wonder why we're so tired. Yeah. I'm exhausted. (laughs) And that's not even just the wars that you're fighting in your head. That are just like, oh, am I no, looking, no. am I ugly today? Or am I that like, that's, you know, there's yeah. that. And, and there's just so many other things that are floating yeah. around there that it's just like, yeah, you have time for conversation and whatever. But yeah. I just, I don't always have the time to explain to you why I am yeah. not what you think I am or why I do something the way I do. You know, like for me, like, you know, because everything always gets brought back to people with special needs. Like every person with a disability mm-hmm. always gets you know, whether it's, it's 
overtly or, you know, outwardly, they just go, hey, oh, you, you have a problem um, because, you know, in my case, I look closer to something like my phone because I have a vision problem. So it's like, oh, so you're, you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're too slow. You're, you have to look at the close, you have to look close at your phone. It's like, no, it has nothing to do with oh, my yeah. intellect. It's simply, I just can't see this phone. So I have to zoom in and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it, it gets to a point, it just gets, you know, exhausting trying to always defend yourself and always try to explain mm-hmm. who you are and what you are or aren't. Um, and then even if you yeah. do half the time, you don't even like really get the right reaction or the right emotion. And a lot of times it's just, it, mm-hmm. it's mute point and it's pointless to even do. Um, and then, yeah, there, you know, yeah and there's some good people that really want to know, but it, it's far in between when you get those people. Oh, it's, I mean, it's rare. I had one of my, I finally told one of my friends and I think I can't speak for all autistic people. You know, I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to do that because not everybody thinks and feels the same way. But for me, you know, sharing with people that I'm autistic is a lot like coming out as queer. You choose very carefully who you want to quote unquote come out to. So I finally told one of my friends that I was on the spectrum and you know, I wasn't sure of what her reaction would be. And she kind of looked at me and she thought for a minute and kind of thought for another minute. She goes, I got a lot of homework to do, huh? I said, yeah, you do. Hmm. And I loved it because she was willing to assume the burden of educating herself. She knew that I was exhausted she had that sense and she said, don't worry about it. You know, I'll read up on it. So I gave her the names of some really good autistic content creators, really good autistic advocates, um, blogs and websites that, you know, I've really connected with. And she just dug into everything. And about a week later, she said, I want to ask you something. I read, you know, this blog, da, 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 da. Is, is that something, you know? They talked about being bullied at work as an autistic adult. Is that something you've gone through? And I said, oh, yeah. yeah. And it was so much easier for me because I didn't have to go through, I didn't have to, to expend the emotional labor of educating her on autistic adults getting bullied at work. She read up on it, and she just circled back to me to find out if that was my experience. And I said, yes, it was. It still kind of is because at the time I was employed in the traditional workplace and really going through a lot. And so we were able to talk about it. And it was really cool because instead of walking away from that conversation feeling drained, I actually felt energized because she met me where I was at and I didn't have to explain anything. I didn't have to explain any autistic terminology or unpack any stereotypes or anything like that. Right. Unfortunately, not everybody is like that. And you didn't have the fear of being judged or anything like that. Yeah, no fear of being judged. I've had, unfortunately, that happen. And I remember telling another friend that I was on the spectrum. And then the next time I interacted with her, she was treating me like a child. Right. Yeah, because... And I said... You're you're right about the the label thing as far as you know coming out as gay because you know a yeah. lot you know, there there's so many levels to 
you know, being autistic. But as soon as you like hear words like, you know, being on the spectrum or autism or any of that, like you start to think yeah. about the kid in school drooling and, and he can't take care of himself and, yes. you know, he can't, he barely can yeah. speak and his parents have to take care of him. He's in a wheelchair and all these different things. And again, that is one or two levels of that. But there are people that are fully functional exactly. and can do a lot of things. There's certain ticks and stuff that you have, but you're in the same boat. Oh. It's just you're fortunate enough that you don't have a lot of the problems that the ones that are the stereotype, the stereotype of, of what autism is. Um, and so when you do say that, it, it's almost like people, the people that knew you, like just forget about everything they knew about you. And yeah. it's like, oh, you're on the spectrum. Oh, that means, you know, again, the word that a lot of people don't like, but it's like, oh, you're retarded. And it's like, no, th- yeah. this isn't what this the- is. This is, I, you knew me. What, what changed? Because I, because yeah. I put a couple words on my, you know, on my resume. Now I'm different. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's silly. No, it's an ongoing thing. And one of the things that autistic people struggle with are functional labels. Like he's low functioning, he's high functioning. We tend to look at it in terms of support needs. He has higher support needs than so-and-so who has less support needs. For example, I'm autistic with low support needs. In other words, I can do most day-to-day activities with no problem. That includes taking care of myself physically, making sure that, you know, I shower every day, use the restroom, all those things that go into everyday life. And also tasks of daily living, Um, you know, living independently, things like that. Now, there are some things that I do need support with, and I'm still working on that. Um, I don't know how to ask for it. Uh, you know, I don't know how to specifically identify it, but I don't get through life the way a neurotypical person does. I'm very neurotypical passing, and that comes at a great cost. But, you know, let's take, for example, the, the kid in class that, that you mentioned, you know, the one that might be, you know, fidgeting a lot or stimming, openly stimming, maybe can't take care of a lot of his own needs. Um, maybe needs help using the bathroom or eating or anything like that, that's somebody with higher support needs. But we really try and stay away from the functional labels because that that kind of submarginalizes somebody in terms of their ability to function within society. So we look at support needs, you know, like so-and-so's son is autistic and he has low low support needs or my kid's classmate is autistic and he has high support needs and people tend to latch onto the stereotypes big time. You know, when I told one of my friends that I was autistic, she said, but you don't rock back and forth. Right. I said, not all of us do. Yeah. And she said, you don't hum. I said, no, not all of us do. Do we have to? No. You know, so unfortunately, she had internalized a lot of these really negative stereotypes of autistic people. And, you know, she said, well, you're not a genius at anything. I said, no, definitely not. Hmm. Um, and so that friendship ended up coming to an end because she would come back to me with, well, you don't look autistic. Right. I said, well, how are we supposed to look? You know, or you don't act autistic. I said, well, because right now we're in a public space and I'm masking like crazy. 
And that means to suppress autistic traits for the comfort of neurotypical people. Mm-hmm. And so that friendship eventually ended because she was trying to back me into the corner of having to prove my autism to her. And I don't have to prove it to anybody. I know I'm autistic. Right. And ask anybody who has known me for a long time, who has seen me when I had a meltdown or when I would get overwhelmed or something like that, then they'd say, oh, you think she's not autistic? You haven't seen her when? And we kind of have a good laugh about it, you know? Right. Um, but at the time, it's not funny, you know? Um, I've had people infantilize me once they found out. We'll go out to eat. Oh, do you want me to order your food for you? Do you know what you want to eat? I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. I should have <laughs> never told this person. I should have kept my mouth shut and just been the weird friend. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, we have to, we, the collective we, as disabled people and marginalized people, really have to expend a lot of emotional labor just to get through the day. Yeah. And it's exhausting. Do you, do you think, and um, do when, you th- go, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not good on the phone. I mean, no, no, you're fine. I, no I, I tell people this because we're over the phone, so I can't just wave my hands and like, hey, over here, like to cut you off, not to cut you off, but to throw in a question. Yeah. Um, but then like, if I don't ask questions yeah. and people oh, yell at me ask- like, oh, you should have asked this. Um, do you, do you feel like when you actually, you know, when, when you were diagnosed and people, you, you knew you were autistic, was it like a relief mm-hmm. that like, oh, now I know what I am? Or is it more, uh, did you lean more towards like being afraid? Cause now it's something that, you know, again, like you said, the label is, is its mm-hmm. own thing that could actually yeah. be a detriment to your life in some ways, whether, whether it comes to workplace yeah. and all that. So did you, yeah. Which, which side did you lean more towards at least in the beginning? In the beginning I was, Hmm. It depended on my mood because again, the mental health thing, um, so at least your initial but reaction, initially initial reaction was, Oh no, if people find out I'm going to be stereotyped, right. I'm going to be seen, I'm going to be compared to that kid in their fifth grade class who like train. It's a very typical autistic stereotype, or I'm going to be compared to that weird girl who, you know, never bathed and who never talked to anybody. And I'm not either of those. So initially it was like, Oh wow. You know, I'm really going to have to keep this under wraps. And, you know, at work, I never, ever, ever, ever disclosed I was autistic or had mental health issues. No way. Um, and then later on, I kind of grieved for all those years lost that I could have, devoted energy to developing my potential instead of dodging abuse from adults and peers because I was so different. And I'm still kind of going through that to some degree. So it, it's really kind of a, it's not a, a linear process. I think it's kind of a jagged edge progression towards acceptance, self-acceptance. And it's something I work on every day 
But right now there's a lot of grieving for all those years lost in elementary school and junior high school and high school that could have, that I could have spent developing my potential and finding out what my place in life was instead of dodging peer violence and home-based violence as well, because I was so different. And I have days where I think, how different would my life be if I were identified as autistic at a young age? Because now kids are being identified earlier and they are able to, with support, depending on their support needs again, really embrace and develop their potential. But also there's a downside to it. A lot of millennials and Gen Z who were identified as autistic when they were young also were subjected to ABA or applied behavioral analysis, which strips an autistic person of their autonomy and their agency and is compliance-based. So you have no agency at all. And it's important that as disabled people, we do have agency and the ability to self-advocate. And if you do a deeper dive into applied behavior analysis, you'll find that there were a lot of abuses of it. So there's kind of this thing of, well, I didn't get diagnosed when I was young, which is a bummer, but it's also good because I wasn't subjected to ABA and other quote-unquote corrective therapies in an effort to quote-unquote cure my autism. So there's kind of a, it's a balancing act, balancing the grief of those years lost with the relief that I didn't have to, I wasn't subjected to ABA. I wasn't subjected to occupational therapy. And, and other therapies that have turned out to be pretty harmful to autistic people. So I think it depends on <laughs> what my mood is at the moment. <laughs> right. so, what, was, what was it like for the I'm first person forward. that you had to tell? Were you nervous or was it somebody that you knew wouldn't treat you any differently? I was I was, oh, I wasn't just nervous. I was sick. It was all I could do to get myself out of the bathroom in time to go meet up with them. And I knew that they were a very understanding person. It was one of my oldest friends who had witnessed a lot of my struggle. And I knew on one level that she was going to be really cool with it, but that didn't stop me from just being so nervous about it that I was sick. Mm-hmm. So I get there. We met up at a, at a little coffee house, you know, that was really quiet because I don't, I can't function in a noisy environment. And so I told her and she was really cool about it. She said, you know what? I don't care. You're, you're still Elaine. You're the Elaine I met 20 years ago when we were, you know, just barely out of high school and, and trying to find our way in the world and, and acting in theater and doing musicals and, and just being stupid young kids, you know, you're still the same person. It's okay. And she's the one who said, I've got a lot of homework to do and who took it upon herself to educate herself. She's the one I referred to earlier and it's not impacted our friendship at all. Um, In fact, it's kind of strengthened it, but again, not everybody has that experience. Right. 
Well, I, th- I think if you dig deep into anybody's mind and you find out all their, their quirks and ticks, like you can make a case that everybody's got mm-hmm. something. It's just people don't want to hear that. Somebody, yeah, they don't. They either they either don't want to share it because they've seen what happens when people do share the core of who of of what's at their core, be it a mental illness, an invisible illness, a different neurotype you know, uh, a history of trauma, what have you, because we live in a very ableist society that doesn't know what to do with information like that. So, you know, I've been in situations where I have been blasted with toxic positivity. All I have to do is say these affirmations and I'll feel great about myself. And it's not like that. So there's definitely a hesitancy to share really deep stuff because as a society, we're not very well educated on how to handle it when somebody does come to us and say, hey, look, you know what? I don't know how to tell you this, but when we were in that movie the other night and I had to run out because I was crying and shaking, it's because I have a history of trauma. Nobody really knows what to do with that because we're not educated on how to actually be there for our another person to what the therapist call hold space for another person right well we we're don't know a, how to do that as a society well we're in this society now where everything's so close-minded and you know everyone's always like well what are we teaching the yeah. kids well we're teaching the kids to lie because no one has real open dialogue anymore no one wants to learn yeah, from anyone exactly it's like, look, there's a lot of things I don't agree with that come out, but it's like, I would like to, like, whether it's a racist or homophobe or whatever, I'd like to hear their opinion so I yeah. see where the hatred comes from so maybe we can work on that because, you know, like I've said before, like, exactly. there's there's these people, there's, you know, if you're a kid and you're molested by your parents your whole life and you haven't committed that mm-hmm. ultimate sin yet, but maybe you, you know, masturbate to child porn. Again, I don't agree with that, but if we, if they haven't, committed the sin and passed it on to another kid maybe we can not write them off as a freak and actually say hey how do we fix you because the reality is like we can't fix people if we just write everyone off because everyone gets written off for one way or another and it's like okay so yeah. you you there you have a weird tick that you like to look at children naked it's like look it's horrible but you haven't yeah, done the worst that thing that yeah so you, bad. but it, but again you, and again, I'm not saying you can fix them, but it's a possible chance. But the reality is they weren't given a chance because their family did the ultimate thing to them. And it's like, what do you want them to grow up to be? You know, like someone who has mental health, like when we talk about mental health nowadays, it's only when someone shoots up a school, mm-hmm. you know, because we want to talk about yeah. guns and it's political stuff and all that. But we don't really want to talk about yeah. how a kid got to that point and all the things that people did to him or her or whoever uh-huh. um and there's there's so many factors that, you know they you know it's the white and black there but it's like there's so many things that go into every bit of these major conversations race and the police and all that like it it's all relative oh, yeah. but we only want to talk about one part of it because it, it you know it sells books and and and, and blogs and and you know and all that oh yeah and it's like we can't we need yeah. to start having real dialogue the problem is no one wants to have real conversations with brutal honesty because no. everybody is so close minded and they're all afraid to hear the truth um and then like you know like what you're talking about it's like yeah like you should be free to say whatever you want i'm like yeah i'm autistic and i love who i am and i'm proud but it's like you live in a world that doesn't want to hear that because yeah 
they're afraid that no. maybe they'll hear something that reminds them of what you what you said reminds them of something they're going through and it's like well maybe i'm autistic i can't be autistic because you know because of the stereotypes and all those things um and because autistic is considered in some ways bad um and then you're you know you're different but different is never it never perceived as good um and different is amazing no it's always negative yeah I'm sorry, I ranted, but you know, it, it, it's just, oh, that's okay. it, it's just, it's so tiring because of, you know, you sit back and, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially with the disabled community, you know, I watched that documentary, the, the, what is it called? Uh, Crip camp. And I'm watching all these yes. people with disabilities just fight for each other and, and, and join. And it was, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why are we not at this yes, point? Because there's so many more disabilities. There's so many more of us now. And we have so much yeah. more information. And it's like, why are we so segregated? Because the world wants us to be mm-hmm. a certain way, but we have voices. We are here. We're stronger now, like we, we individuals anyway. And we can make a real noise yeah. with 1.6 billion or 1.7 billion of us. Like we can really make a difference. Um, and, you know, and again, people don't want to hear us because, you know, again, we remind people of what, what could happen to them? Because everybody is one accident away from being disabled. People don't want to hear that. Oh yeah, I was. No, uh-uh. And so, and that's I think, yeah. uh, throughout a person's life. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I I ranted. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's all right. I think uh, owing to the comment on disability, uh, anybody throughout the course of their life stands a fifty percent chance of becoming significantly disabled. Yeah. In terms of their mobility or their cognition. And going back to your example of, you know, the guy looking at whatever you said, you know, um, the key is, is to break the cycle of intergenerational and systemic trauma. Right. When you look at people who are incarcerated, when you look at people who have negative encounters with the police and disabled people, stand a higher chance of getting shot and killed by the police than an able-bodied person does. Yeah. That'll never be mentioned Um, either. Yeah. That's never talked about. It's never talked about that. There is a collective trauma within the disabled community, either because of histories within their own families in some societies, a disabled child is seen as a negative mark on the family it's seen as a curse, you know, it depends on the society or some households, some families are so hell bent on being perfect and looking perfect that they're horrified that they have a, a disabled child, either in terms of a physical disability or a mental or cognitive or developmental disability. They're absolutely horrified. Yeah. And so that kid ends up being mistreated. Mm-hmm. And a lot of disabled kids, unfortunately, are at higher risk of dying at the hands of their caregiver than an able-bodied child is. Yeah. And I got to tell you, growing up the way I did, there were times when I thought, I'm not going to get out of this, this alive. Yeah. Because I had so much trouble eating. Again, food texture and taste were very difficult for me. I ended up getting food shoved down my throat quite a bit. And that is a fantastic way to either permanently harm a child or actually kill a child because 
I, there were so many times when I would panic and start choking. Yeah. Another thing that people... So again... God. No, I was oh, just, just going to say another thing that we're equated with is people with, with you know, again, I like, I always go to the most brutal analogies, but uh, incest mm-hmm. is another one where, you know, if someone has a kid who has autism or any, any kind of mental problem, it's like, oh, well, you must have oh, slept yeah. with your sister or something terrible. And it's like, no, man, yeah. look, some stuff is, you know, there's some genes and stuff that don't mix and so on, but it's not always that stuff. This stuff just doesn't no. mix and something just goes left no. and, 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 and Something happens. Um, yeah. It, it's unfortunate. But, yeah, there's so many stereotypes. Again, and stereotypes sometimes are real. But there's a lot yeah. in our community that it's like, it's like, I don't I don't understand. Like, why is that a stereotype? Like, you know, that's not, there's, there's, there's so many. And, again, there's so much information out there now that it's like, you oh, don't know great. that. Yeah. And it's the power of social media. I'm telling you, if anybody wants to learn about autism, if any of your listeners, you know, hearing this right now, want to learn, really learn about autism and dig in and really learn about it and learn about the history of autistic people and the culture of autistic people, head over to social media. You'll find a lot of outstanding content creators and activists. TikTok, if you use the hashtag actually autistic, you will find some incredible Gen Z creators that yeah. are really putting themselves out there to advocate and educate. And, you know, that's how I learned a lot about my own autism. Seriously, I went on to social media. And again, you have to have a critical eye and determine is this high quality information or is it crap? And you really have to be discerning. But there are some incredible, incredible people out there really working hard to educate and their content is just awesome. I'm t- if I had the nerve, I would go on TikTok, but I don't. I'm very camera shy. I'm very self-conscious about how I look. I'm self-conscious about my age because I'm generation X in a Gen Z world, you know, all that stuff. So, but there are some incredible, incredible social media pages and blogs out there and organizations that, really do an excellent job of educating people about the autistic experience and about our culture. Yeah. We have a culture. Look at fidget spinners that were all the rage a few years ago where people were buying them in the store. Guess where that started? Yeah. Those started with autistic people because some autistic people stem by fidgeting with something in their hand, rolling something around in their hand, or clicking something, or rubbing something with their, their thumb or their finger. Right. Started in the autistic community. Look at weighted blankets. Those started in the autistic and disabled community as a way to relieve anxiety and sleep disturbances because autistic people do tend to have sleep disturbances. I'm in that camp. And all of a sudden, it's gone mainstream. And now neurotypicals are acting like they were the greatest thing ever invented and acting like they discovered weighted blankets. And I'm like, hello. No, you didn't. No, you did not. These existed a long time ago. But because they were used primarily by disabled and autistic people, they were, quote, unquote, bad. 
and you didn't want to buy a product that was associated right. with disability. But somewhere, somehow, someone made them mainstream, and now everybody's buying fidgets. Every there are these strips that you could put on your um, the trackpad of your laptop, and they're textured strips that you could rub your finger on to soothe anxiety. Those are a stem, yeah. but they don't call them stems because that's a term associated with autism. Instead, they call them calming strips. Yeah. Again, it's all about neurotypical enabled comfort. We don't want to call them stems because that's bad. That's autistic. So it's really interesting how <laughs> neurotypical enabled culture has co-opted autistic culture, but doesn't love autistic people. The same thing that black folks have experienced for years, white people co-opting their music their style of dress, their vocabulary, their, um, their saying, their slang, but not loving black people, not caring about black people. It's the same thing. Co-opting things from a marginalized group, but not giving a damn about the human beings within the marginalized group and not uplifting that marginalized group. Right. Um, yeah, I don't so want to cut... Parallels Really. I don't want to cut you off, but I mean, yeah. you said you, you only really have an hour because you had to go pick somebody up. Um, yeah, I've got like 10 more minutes. Okay. I have, I'll I, need to bounce. Right. No, you're good. <laughs> uh, I actually do. Uh, towards the end, I always like to, you know, ask the guests to give advice to someone who's kind of going through something similar. So like for someone like you, you know, okay. put them in, you know, you know, a young Elaine who's trying to deal with, like you said, you thought you were broken and, you know, you're, you're dealing with all mm -hmm. these little triggers, like your taste, you know, certain things you couldn't taste or whatever. Like, do you have any advice for the person, you yeah. know, that, that young person or whatever, whenever they finally succumb to understanding mm -hmm. what they're going through uh, and they're trying to figure it out for mm -hmm. themselves to, to know what it is that they have? Uh, yeah. Do you have any advice for mm -hmm. those people? Take it from old Generation X here. We didn't have social media back in the day. I mean, we had MySpace and stuff. Nowadays, for a young person beginning to discover that they are autistic or otherwise neurodivergent, again, head over to social media, use the hashtags actually autistic, neurodivergent, ADHD, ADD, mental health, whatever your form of neurodivergence is, use those hashtags and you'll find some incredible creators that not only put out outstanding educational content, but also build a community around that content. And I'm noticing, because I, I go on TikTok to watch videos, there's so many outstanding creators on there, that they're very welcoming. It's a very welcoming community. Yes, there are idiots dancing around and thirst trapping and all of that. Yeah, you know, there's that part of TikTok. But if you go over to autistic TikTok or ADHD TikTok or mental illness TikTok, whatever your neurodivergent is, whether it's singular or intersectional, you will find some outstanding creators. And one thing I noticed when I started watching, you know, consuming more social media created by and for autistic people because I felt a lot better about who I was that I didn't feel as alone or as ostracized or marginalized. 
So I'd highly encourage anyone you know, hearing this to, if you can, and I understand that some people are underage and their parents lock down their social media or forbid them from having it altogether. Yeah. I wonder why they do that, but, you know, not my call to make. Definitely go on to social media, use the hashtags, and really seek out content that you connect with. Facebook has a ton of online groups specifically for autistic people. Right, yep. And for parents with autistic kids and for autistic women, for queer autistic women, for autistic women of color. Um, There's so, so many resources out there that didn't exist when I was coming up, when I was a kid. Um, There are so many resources out there now. Online, Google it. Same thing. An incredible amount of resources. I think you'll find a lot of comfort. You'll find a lot of community that you didn't think existed, but it's definitely out there. Definitely out there. And I'm going to rip off the tagline from the Trevor Project, which works primarily with LGBTQIA youth. It does get better. It Mm. does get better. And if you find yourself experiencing depression or suicidal ideation, in other words, in a mental health crisis because of your neurodivergence, or as part of your neurodivergence, definitely seek help from that um, through a trusted friend, through online resources. Definitely take care of your mental health. Once you take care of your mental health, um, you'll be able to embrace your neurodivergence a lot more. And it's an ongoing journey. There's no end to it. It's an ongoing journey. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the funny part about it is I think the most amazing thing you said of all the amazing things you did say and all the information, I'm surprised you know what thirst trapping is. <laughs> TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Because um, I was uh, watching a video on TikTok and the woman was joking about thirst trapping and, and stuff like that. Yeah, TikTok is a great resource for pop culture aside from neurodivergence. It really is. That's why I love watching videos on it so much. Um, that's how I unwind at the end of the day is I stream stuff, you know, be it TikTok, be it a movie, scroll through Facebook, whatever. That's my stem. So there you go. No, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, again, thank you. Like this was very informational. Um, there's a lot of people that are going through all kinds of problems and, uh, you yeah. know, this, this, you know, just the label of being autistic is something that a lot of people obviously struggle with, but then there's people that are just don't know a whole lot about it because of, you know, again, there's so much information, but not enough mm-hmm. in the mainstream media and all like this is not a lot that's being no. fed to what, you know, you and, and, and others go through. And, um, you know, like I said, with me, like, I started doing this because I wanted to get my story out and then I wanted to start interviewing people that other disabilities, because again, we're so far apart from each other. We seem to kind of run yeah. to each other's communities. You know, in my case would be the blind mm-hmm. community go over there and yours would be the autistic community would go over there, but it's like, that's not how it needs to be. Uh, we need to support each no, other and no, we need to stay all. strong and we need to, 
you know, continue to put out information and it doesn't have to be your disability to, for you to understand or for you to fight for it. Um, you know, you could right. fight for your own individuality right. and your own disability, but at some point we need to all come together and have our own little, you know, kumbaya or whatever. And, and, you know, our own little parades and yeah. whatever and, and, and fight for what we believe in. Because again, there's too many of us now and there's too many voices and, uh, there's a lot mm-hmm. of us that can't speak and a lot of us that can't fight and we need to fight for them. Um, there's so many innocents exactly. that are getting screwed over and hurt and, and just, it never will have a fighting chance. And as you were saying earlier about the, you know, the caregiver, there's so many bad caregivers and don't get me wrong. There's yeah. a lot of great caregivers too, but there's a lot of bad ones that are just oh, mistreating absolutely. them and abusing them. And I've seen it personally. I don't have a yeah. caregiver, but I've seen caregivers absolutely abuse women. This I saw this one lady just abusing this one girl, like uh, verbally just screaming at her to get in the car oh and, and, and just, and it's just, it was so depressing. Like I, I, I literally teared yeah. up cause I was so frustrated and you know, yeah. I, you know, and I guess I reported her and all that, but it was just like, it, it, that stuff has just got to stop, but we can't, that's never going to stop if we stay silent and just not share our experiences and not come together. Like I said, you don't have to have my disability to fight for the, the blind or, or mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to be autistic to fight for, you know, autistic people. Um, but yeah, like I said, this was a very informational podcast and I think you definitely helped a lot of people. Well, I really appreciate you having me on as a guest. It has been just a lot of fun. And you're right. This is an inclusive community. We do need to be able to advocate for one another. You know, just because I'm sighted doesn't mean I can't advocate for visually impaired people. Right. Or people who are deaf or hard of hearing or what have you. There need, there does need to be more inclusion and less segregation within the disabled community and I think this podcast that you're doing is going to go a long way toward that and again thank you so much for asking me to be a guest of course and I had a great time I hope you keep in touch talk your ear off no you're fine yes definitely I would love that yes whatever whatever you need I'll I'll support it or whatever you know again just be friends we don't have it doesn't even have to be anything podcast or, or anything that you're into related just you know, you need someone to talk to because yeah. you're depressed. Just call me. Like, you know, I'm here. Um, oh, that's great. I so you know, I really appreciate that. And everybody and, needs um, that. I appreciate. Yes, everybody does need. I think neurodivergent, neurotypical, able, disabled doesn't matter. We all need somebody who is a source of support. You know, just just knowing that we can. <laughs> share our hardships with somebody or just like a rough patch and have that individual or group not judge us is really powerful really powerful yeah and we can't we can't do what others do to us so you know as you were saying like we no absolutely not we we have to be inclusive but we have to break the cycle we, we have to be inclusive because we can't want inclusion if we don't give it to each other like then we're just hypocrites. Like exactly. We, and, and and our community and circles has, every other community where, you know, there's black people, there's gay people that everyone is mm-hmm. in the disabled community. There isn't one person that's really, yes. that's left out women, men, and we're all there. Um, short, exactly. tall, big, small, it doesn't matter. Exactly. So it's like that it, it's perfect. We are the most inclusive community yes. by far because everyone is in it. It's Pretty just, much. we need just to, yeah. we just need to accept that. Exactly. And move forward and work from that 
from that angle too. Right. And True. that's how things will get done and break the cycle of systemic and intergenerational trauma that our community has been subject to and historical trauma as well. I mean, there's also a lot of historical trauma, but once we could break those shackles, I think it's going to be an awesome thing. And this podcast goes a long way toward that. And again, I thank you so much for having me. Of course, I had you. a blast. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Great. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Just keep in touch and uh, I'll, I'll let you know everything when it comes out and all that. And, uh, but either way, like I said, I hope everything is goes well for you and just uh, hang in there as far as your mental health. I get it. It's, it's rough. I battle it every day and, I have good days and I have bad days, yeah. but I'm still here. So that's the important part. Same thing. Yeah, you're that's still here. very important. And thank you. And you know what? You're doing a good thing. So um, I got to run and yep. pick up my neighbor. But again, thank you. And if you have any more questions or anything like that, just feel free to hit me up. No problem there. I promise I will. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. Another great episode. Um, yeah, I, I don't... <laughs> You know, like I said, it's, I don't really have any of these superlatives. I can't even, I can't speak today. Why am I even trying to say big words today? <laughs> Terrible today. I can't speak, guys. I, I'm, I'm exhausted. And I thought this interview was at 4 Eastern. Um, and it was 4 Pacific. And I worked a little extra time today, another extra hour, and, I'm I'm not you know, I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just I'm just tired and bullets just making me feel sad because he just cuddled up next to me and he's sleeping and it's just it's like I'm jealous. Um, and it's funny that she keeps saying all this stuff about the fidgety things because I'm sitting here playing with my little zip tie snappy thingies, magnetic things. It's just yeah, I I have my own problems as you all know. Um. Yeah, guys, again, I love the support. I was going to give you an update on me, but I don't know what there is to update on. Um, just keep an eye on my Instagram. That's where you really can see my my, my emotions emotions on the fly. Um, because, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, that's kind of when I, when I put that out is that you, especially the lives like that's live. So it's happening in that moment. And uh when it comes to these podcasts, a lot of times they're months later, weeks later, or so on, days later, whatever. I'm not feeling exactly like that, unless it's just I jump right into it. And there's sometimes I really do feel that way, and it did come out that week, especially the early on episodes. Um, let's see. Is there anything else? So, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say. And the word I was looking for was superlatives. I just couldn't speak because um, I'm an idiot. And I'm sleepy, boys. Um, bullet? Bullet? Hey, wake up. Okay, you don't want to wake up. I was going to see if he wanted to speak, but he does not want to speak. Um, yeah, guys, I hope everyone's just hanging in there. I know the weather's getting hotter here on the East Coast. I think I might have said this on the last episode. Just stay cool. Um, and for those who have air conditioning and all that, just appreciate that you do have it because there's a lot of people that don't and they're struggling and... All these people out here struggling financially and all that. And it's just there's so much going on. Um, I don't know. Try to be grateful. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm talking to myself here as well. Try to be grateful for everything you have. And uh, I'm enjoying a sh new show called Banshee. It's not very new, but it, it, it's it been out a little bit, I guess. Uh, I love it. 
and it makes me feel things. I love the show, so I'm appreciative of that every year. I, you know, I have two more seasons to go, and I'm enjoying it. And, um, yeah, so. Uh, oh, and bowling's over with. Um, I stunk, um, and I, I really do internalize and take it out on myself because I just, I don't know if it's my eyes or it's just me mentally just can't focus and all that. So maybe I'll get into that at some point, you know, on Instagram or on here, just of kind of how I feel about it. But I love Tommy and Julia and and Toddy and Grandma, the team, underdog. Ooh, ooh. Um, but yeah, guys, I will uh, see you guys on the next one because I'm just kind of rambling about nothing. See you guys and gals if you're one of those people that gets offended at that stuff. <laughs> <laughs>